Welcome to New City Church's podcast. We're a small non-denominational church in Nashville, Tennessee, practicing the way of Jesus together. For more information on who we are, what we do, and some resources for your faith, you can check out newcitynash.com. But we hope you enjoy this message and that it blesses you. I know that we have people uh, in the room, uh, because I've been this in a, in a multitude of uh, situations and times, uh, when we are singing, walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. Uh, you are presently in that season where you've been walking around that wall for a long time and praying faithfully that God would do it. And you've heard stories about God doing it for other people, and maybe you've even uh, experienced it in your life. And right now, if you're honest, you are frustrated, if you want to put it uh, nicely, uh, with God, mad, upset, um, angry. And, and, and I hope what we're able to do today in diving into this passage is that I hope that it reveals something to you uh, about God that will be incredibly comforting to you. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I have two small kids, uh, and so I'm going to start out today with a children's book. It's called We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Any parents know this book or non-parents know this book? Okay, great. Uh, by Michael Rosen and Helen Oxenbury. I'm going to read to you just a little bit. I do have some of it memorized. Uh, we're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Oh, oh, grass. Long, wavy grass. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no. We've got to go through it. Swish, she swash, she swish, she swash, she swish, swish. It goes on. has a number of other things. A cold river. Splash, 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 splash. Mud, squelch, squirch. One of my favorites is a snowstorm. I'm not going to read to you this whole book, uh, but I think this is an apt metaphor for life, particularly in regards to pain and suffering and hard things that we're walking through. Uh, sometimes we try to go over it, and sometimes the Lord allows that. Like He heals you miraculously when you pray in a moment. You pray for healing. You pray that the thing would change, and it does, and you're able to look from 30,000 feet and see, wow, look what the Lord has allowed me to just miss. Sometimes you try to go under it, uh, doing different things, maybe distracting yourself, using different coping mechanisms, some of which are good, but you can't. And you end up at the place, oh no, we've got to go through it. Uh, I share this uh, pretty openly um, and have here on a bunch of occasions, but uh, I've struggled with depression and anxiety most of my life and uh, pretty chronically. Uh, and I, for a lot of my life, felt pretty ashamed about it, and especially I think being in ministry, I didn't know of people like me who struggled with what I struggled with, and a lot of the people that I would hear speak maybe walked through a season of it, like uh, clinically you only have to do it for two weeks, but it might be a year or two years, and they come out and they're like, all right, here are the 10 steps that you can do, and now if you do these things, everything's going to feel better. I felt ashamed uh, because I would try doing all those things, and those things didn't didn't work, uh, you know, and I wanted to hide it, you know, particularly if you have like, you know, panic attacks and other things like that. And to be honest, I still don't love, uh, love sharing those. And I'm in a, uh, based on medicine and number of, and therapy and a number of other things, a pretty like emotionally good spot, better than I've been in most of my life. But even like last week, I like I was on the verge of having a panic attack in a social situation. I just felt it in my body. I, I, I didn't, um, but I didn't know anybody uh, that struggled with what I struggled with, especially in ministry. And so it's kind of become something for me that I want to be uh, the person that I wish I had. 
Um, and as I've told some of my friends, if I could be the person that someone looks weird at because I struggle with depression or anxiety, so that when they're walking through depression or anxiety, they don't feel as bad about themselves or they don't say something dumb to someone else, I'm happy might not be the right word, but happy, happy to do that. Uh, you see, there can be a lot of shame around hard seasons, around walking through something difficult. Maybe you feel ashamed that things are so difficult right now and that they're not better. Surely by now. Maybe you feel ashamed because you're sad or because you're depressed or struggling with anxiety or walking through an immense season of grief and you just keep hearing refrains in your mind of other people have it so much worse. Why do you feel this way? Your suffering does not disqualify you. Uh, your suffering does not disqualify you from ministry. It may actually be the place where God wants to do a powerful work within you and through you. In fact, Paul, who's the author of this passage we just read, seems to think the opposite of suffering in, about suffering in his life. Rather than suffering invalidating him in his ministry, he appeals to suffering as evidence of his authenticity and for the power of his ministry. You see, we often think, uh, we may not say it like this, but we often think it's our strengths, our giftedness, our power, our influence, our ability to speak, our ability to lead worship, our ability to do things behind the scenes that makes us good vessels for God to use. And sure, uh, God does that. God wants to use our gifts. He wired us in unique ways, and he's gifted us in beautiful ways. But what if, what if God desperately wants to use your weakness? What if God wants to use your pain? And what if he has a track record of just that? And maybe you're here thinking, oh no, we've got to go through it. <laughs> you see, Paul reframes his suffering, not something as simply to be stoically endured or avoided, but as an avenue for God to demonstrate his grace and power. In his commentary on 2 Corinthians, the theologian N.T. Wright writes that illness and suffering in the ancient world was regularly regarded as a sign of divine displeasure which you'd say that's probably true for a lot of us in the modern world as well. Not so, says Paul. These things come not because God is angry, but because he wants you to trust him more fully. Now, I'm not here today to give you a theological reason why suffering exists or why you're walking through what you're walking through, uh, but what I do hope to offer you is just an invitation uh, and a perspective to see God with you in the midst of it. Rather than it being a sign of divine displeasure, Paul seems to see his suffering and his weakness as the place where God's resurrection life shines through. Where he is comforted, he then can comfort others. That's in chapter 1. When he is weak, then he is strong. That's in chapter 12. Because God's grace is sufficient for him and his power comes to perfection in weakness. So what I want to do is just kind of go uh, section by section in this passage that we just read. I'm going to start in verse 6. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Now, we could unpack this for a long time, but I just want to offer a couple of implications from this verse. If God spoke light into darkness in the beginning of all of creation, would it not make sense that God is, if he's, there's light in our hearts, that God is making light in dark places of our hearts? 
Now, I want to invite you to do something just for, uh, for a moment. I want to invite you to close your eyes. Now, open it back up. What did you see? Nothing, right? Or maybe if you're like me and have a very vivid imagination, you start picturing a whole range of things. This is not necessarily in the text, but when I think about dark, a lot of it's unknown. And it can be very scary. Uh, One of the things that light does is it illuminates some things that we didn't know were there. And so I think one of the things that happens as we follow Jesus, or even just as you do inner kind of healing work, if you've ever gone to therapy, you've noticed this, as you start to identify those things in the dark places can be really scary and somewhat unknown. Then we see the second image, uh, referring to the jars of clay. A commentator named George Guthrie said that Paul's word picture capitalized on a common aspect of everyday life. Clay jars were, and I'm quoting here, unexceptional, affordable, disposable, and put to a variety of uses in the ancient world. As mass-produced throwaway containers for the general population, they are both fragile and expendable. He then goes to point out, to say Paul's emphasis, however, seems to rest on the idea of fragility and perhaps the unassuming ordinariness of clay containers, rather than suggesting that the human minister is of little value or disposable. And he goes on to point out, uh, if you had like a treasure box, for example, and your treasure box just like looked amazing, was gilded, looked, I mean, covered in gold, it can, in a sense, detract from what is inside of it. What if, what if sometimes our attempts to draw attention to our strengths can draw attention away from the beauty and power of Christ? George Guthrie points out that the beauty of containers made of earth is that their very weakness and baseness focus attention on God's extraordinary power. So my question for us to consider today is what if God actually wants to demonstrate who he is through the normal, mundane aspects of your life. The unimpressive, the boring, the seemingly insignificant. And what if he even wants to demonstrate who he is through your frailty and through your pain? So there's a seeming paradox here, right, of ordinariness and power, of weakness and strength. And then we get into this beautiful section. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Or as the New Revised Standard Version translates it, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. Now, what is going on here in these couple verses reflects something incredibly comforting, challenging, and beautiful. It holds the tension of walking through pain and recognizing that God is still holding on to you as you are walking through it. You might say holding on to pain and holding on to faith, but I think perhaps if you're in a really dark season, uh, like I've been, a better way to phrase that would be God still holding on to me, though I have really, I feel like nothing left to hold on to. And in each of these four sets of we are this, but not this, uh, we see something occurring for Paul in the present tense not the past tense. And I think this is, in, this is very significant. Paul here is not going, saying, I used to struggle with this, and then I prayed to God, and now everything is better. 
For Paul, everything that he's saying that he is presently experiencing seems to be something that he is experiencing then and that he anticipates will continue. He's not coming about it like I'm, I'm not walking through this or I am at the other end of this. He is speaking as a fellow practitioner in the way of Jesus, walking in the mess and pain of life. And if you've heard sermons preached concerning Paul, you've probably heard a number of the things that he has uh, walked through, um, persecuted in a whole lot of really terrible, awful ways. And in each of these, we see a statement where basically Paul says, we are this, but it's not to this level. And I want to point these out to you. There are four sets of this, we are this, but not this statements. So let's go phrase by phrase. The first We are pressed on every side by troubles or afflicted, but we are not crushed. One lexicon uh, defines being afflicted as to cause something to be constricted or narrow. Pressed together, compress. The first pair, uh, hard pressed and crushed, uh, Paul Barnett, who's a commentator, wrote that they are virtual synonyms in contemporary Greek. These two words. But the second one, is a stronger word. So if I kind of almost get the image of like grapes, and I'm, I didn't bring a grape up here, but you can kind of get the picture with a coffee cup. Pressed on every side, but crushed would be to be in a circumstance that seems to offer no way out. I feel and am, not just feel, I am, very, and very much in reality, I am afflicted on every side, pressed up against, but I am not yet crushed. I'm feeling it all around me, but I am not without hope. Then the second, uh, second phrase is a word play, and I'm quoting here from Paul Barnett. It's impossible to reproduce this in an English translation. Literally rendered, um, it means to be at a loss, but not absolutely at a loss. It's literally like the same, each one is the same word, but the second word has uh, a prefix attached to it. I'm at a loss, but not absolutely at a loss. Perplexed. Elsewhere, this word is used to refer to a state of mental confusion or uncertainty about something. I have no idea what's going on. I am very perplexed. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to them? Why am I walking through this? How long will this go on? I am at a loss. This is Paul saying this. And yet... It's not yet to the point of being completely at a loss or to the point of despair. Uh, This is from a commentator named George Guthrie. He's referring to an ancient writer named Polybius. For instance, uses this term to describe being lost to the point of hopelessness or being in a a state of despair. I am confused, but not without hope. And I imagine you're probably thinking, I feel not only at a loss, but I feel completely at a loss. And I feel not only afflicted, but I feel crushed. We're going to get to that. In the third pair, the first participle, persecuted, uh, is used elsewhere, this is from Paul Barnett, to describe specific assault on Christians, whether his own prior hounding of believers or his own sufferings at the hands of others. The second term, forsaken or abandoned, has a rich background, particularly in the Old Testament. Uh, If you think of the phrase that's uh, repeated in Hebrews chapter 13, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. If you think of Jesus' own words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's referencing there Psalm 22, I believe. So let me get this right. So Jesus is saying, why have you forsaken me? And yet Paul is saying, he will never forsake me. That's confusing, isn't it? So, so the, these words here, uh, persecuted, involves like being pursued, harassed, troubled. 
And forsaken means not abandoned. I, as I've been prepping for this message, I keep thinking of the thing from Lilo and Stitch. Ohana means family, and family means nobody gets left behind. And it has this kind of idea of like eternal life. Though I may be persecuted in this life and things may seem awful, I will not be forgotten about. I will not be abandoned. Then the last phrase comes from uh, perhaps uh, the background of either athletics, uh, wrestling, like to throw down, or boxing, to knock down. But the image could also be from a military sort of context. Uh, Knocked down, thrown down to the ground, but not destroyed or killed. And, and kind of the picture here, once again, points to this eternal sort of hope. And then we get on to verse 16 uh, through 18, which says, This is why uh, we never give up. We're skipping a couple verses. Uh, Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So in verses 16 through 18, we kind of see this, this contrast between outer physical deterioration that is a normal part of life, and inner spiritual renewal. Uh, the first one of our bodies are wasting away is like a present passive verb. It refers to something being d- destroyed or spoiled uh, through corrosion of some kind. This is not uh, the best example, but as you get older, your body starts encountering more and more pain. Part of the reason I'm sitting today, not a big deal, but my feet have been, uh, feet have been hurting from not, I guess, not wearing the right shoes. Um, anyways, it's not a big deal, but I point that out to say that when I was uh, younger, I was able to bounce back quicker when I was hurt. Wake up the next day. I mean, I I see it with my two-year-old all the time. He like runs and falls on his face or whatever, and then just might cry for a second and hops back up. Or sometimes he just laughs about it and hops right back up. If I did that, I'm probably out for a week. You know what I mean? And, And that's just part of life. It is expected that our bodies are dying. But at the same time, Paul seems to say, that I am being renewed on the inside. In other words, um, and I believe this was from George Guthrie, the persecution against Paul and his mission might be consistent, but the spiritual renewal taking place amid that persecution is incessant. And then we see this, this refrain about momentary suffering, momentary light suffering, and an eternal fullness of glory. And even just honestly reading that, I kept thinking, man, I hope if I'm like walking through something really painful, no one comes to me and says, um, your present troubles are small and won't last very long. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Know who I'm not talking to now, right? But what Paul is doing here is something really powerful. He's not speaking just to other people. He's speaking about the present thing that he's going through and speaking truth to himself. This momentary word normally connotes something that is happening immediately or in the time being. Like, this is happening now. I am presently suffering, but in the grand scheme of eternity, this will not last forever. So, back to the question from earlier. What if I feel crushed? What if I don't only feel afflicted, but I feel like... I have no hope. I am out of options. I feel completely, not just at a loss, but I am in desperation. I am despondent. I am in despair. What if I feel not only persecuted or pursued, but I feel straight up abandoned? I don't think I can offer any pithy platitude for you. So you're welcome for that really helpful statement. 
but, but what I do think God offers for us is his tender, compassionate care, entering into our suffering with us. Even though our feelings affect our perception of reality, they do not change the reality of God's presence with you. You may be here today and feel like God has abandoned you, forsaken you, forgotten about you, stopped answering your prayers, stopped hearing you, but God has not forgotten about you. And there's a number of reasons why it might feel like that. Uh, one that I reference often is from St. John of the Cross, who referred to something called the dark night of the soul, which is for whatever reason that you're walking through a season where God's absence seems more present than his nearness, that you pray and it's not for a lack of faith, but God seems not to answer and it's frustrating, and it's tiring, and it's exhausting, and it's one of those, oh no, I can't go over it, I can't go under it, I've got to go through it, uh, type situations. And there's a number of things that God might be doing in seasons like that, but one of them is getting us to trust him and not just what he offers us. Which is not fun to learn. Getting to trust him not only for answering the prayer that we so desperately want and that seems in accordance with his will, but getting to, okay God, if it's your will, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Doing this with pain and tenderness, but God, God, help me with this. And we'll see in scripture that God is near to the brokenhearted. In Isaiah 41, fear not, for I am with you. Chapter 41, uh, verse 10, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And then I'm reminded of this. In Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission, Jesus talks about all authority in heaven and earth being given to him, so therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Then at the end he says, and be sure of this, I will, what does he say? I will answer all your prayers in the affirmative. No, I kinda wish he said that. I will make this problem stop right now. Unfortunately not that either, or unfortunately in our minds. And be sure of this, I will be with you, always, even until the end of the age. And I can't help but think about the early Christians and the apostles who almost all were killed for their faith. Okay, God, I'm following you, and yet this is leading me to death. But as Paul says, even in here, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed. And then he, he has this like contrast here. All this is for your benefit, and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. As N.T. Wright in that commentary on 2 Corinthians said, if you want to see resurrection at work here and now in your own life, you have to be prepared to see crucifixion at work as well. And once again, I'm not here today to offer you like some pithy platitude on why suffering exists in your life, and that's not the point of this sermon, but what I do wanna tell you is that God doesn't want your suffering to go to waste. And that God can and does use our suffering to bring life to others. And I kept thinking of this fragile clay jars image. And um, if you think about pressing in on like a, a, a clay jar, you probably break it, right? But if the light is in our hearts, what is it that's supposed to eat, like eke out of there? the very light of God. God can use our suffering to bring life and healing to others. As 2 Corinthians 1 says, praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. 
He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. And then I want to read to you this from Isaiah 53 that offers me great comfort talking about Jesus, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never spoke a word. And he goes on from there. Reminded of by his stripes, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. And I can't help but think, if we are to be Christ-like, then wouldn't it make sense that God wants to use our wounds to help heal others? That perhaps the source of your greatest pain might be a place that God is wanting to bring in the long term, beauty out of ashes, life out of death, hope out of despair. So what now? Uh, a couple of options. Uh, you can go over it. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe, just maybe, and I hope this is true for you, you can pray, or I can pray with you, or we can pray for each other, and God will heal it. God will fix it. God will remove it. God will make it better, and I believe God can do that, and I will pray for you, believing that, and I will celebrate uh, when that happens. And sometimes, God shows up in power like that. You pray, and God will do something miraculous, and so we pray believing he can't. But sometimes we can use this go over it as a form of like spiritual bypassing, where what we promise people is not God's presence. We promise a particular solution using God as some form of magical incantation to get what we want. Sometimes trying to go over it can cause a lot of damage. The second way is to go under it. Sometimes uh, you may be able to just bypass it. Maybe you have good, healthy coping strategies and they're working. But at other times, uh, you are trying to avoid it, neglect it, distracting yourself out of it, and it is not helping. Another option that's, not un that's unfortunately not in here, perhaps because it doesn't fit uh, that well, is you could sit in it. Just endure it. But perhaps, perhaps, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no. We've got to go through it not escaping it or trying to bypass it, not trying to use spirituality to ignore it, but walking through it, allowing the Lord to do the work in you. And even when you can't see it, even when you're not sure if you believe it, walking as if he is there present with you, remembering that he is there with you. And over the uh, upcoming weeks as we dive into 2 Corinthians, I hope to offer you some implications on what it means to walk through something with the Lord. But uh, for now, I'm going to invite the band uh, to come back up. And, and what I want to invite you to do is I'm going I'm to recite a passage of Scripture that's probably familiar to you. If you've grown up in or around church circles, it's from Psalm 23. And what I want you to do is to imagine that place of pain in your life, that dark place. 
and I can't promise what he's going to do, but I just want to pray boldly in the name of Jesus that he would reveal his presence to you in this moment. That he would allow you to see his presence with you. Maybe for months, for years, you felt forgotten about by God and you are frustrated and you're not even sure if he's there. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that he would show you in this moment, give you an assurance of his presence. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My friends today, maybe you're here today and you feel like you've been walking through your own valley of the shadow of death and no matter where you look, it seems like there's enemies all around. Uh, maybe those enemies aren't like the, you know, the literal like battle type imagery, but everywhere you look, it just seems like another terrible, awful, hateful, harming thing just comes. You feel tired, you feel worn down, you feel despondent, you feel in despair. I pray that just even as we sing this, you just sense like the Lord prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Yes, these enemies are all around. Yes, I feel persecuted. Yes, I not only feel it, but I am persecuted. Yes, I am confused. I'm at a loss, but God, I'm not completely at a loss. Remind me. Remind my soul. These verses don't only proclaim the reality, don't necessarily proclaim the reality of our feelings, but they proclaim the reality of God's presence with us, even when. He is with you. He is for you. He is not against you. Be sure of this. I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. And so as we sing this, if you are um, just walking through a really painful season, um, I just want you to know I'm gonna be praying for you. Uh, I know just the idea of even having someone pray for you can uh, feel like a lot, but if you would like that uh, in a more personal way, I would love to offer um, prayer for you. Um, I'll be right there in the back, but if not, know that uh, I'm praying for you and asking the Lord, to remind you, to show you, to give you just today, just to, um, this just came to mind, so if it resonates with you, um, uh, a couple things came to mind. Uh, there's been a number of times when I prayed uh, for God to do something, and then he answers, but sometimes his answer is somewhat frustrating, because I remember, uh, I remember when I was doing youth ministry, and I was really in a dark season of depression, and I would have a number of like panic attacks and other things. Um, I would pray that the Lord would give me just enough to make it through. And well, uh, he answered my prayer, but oftentimes it was just enough to make it through. And I would go home and bawl my eyes out. And sometimes it's frustrating when you pray and you ask God to give you the thing that you're asking for, and he gives you literally just that. Um, that may be all he shows up for you today. But I pray that we're able to celebrate that with one another. Let me pray for us, and then I'll be back there if anyone wants specific prayer. God, um, 
life is really hard uh, sometimes. I don't know uh, why it seems like some things go great for some people and just don't seem to for others. I don't know why some people struggle with the things that they do and are walking through this immense season, no matter how much they've been praying and been faithful to you. And sometimes, God, it's frustrating. But Father, you, you are with us. You've not forgotten us. I'm reminded of the words in Hebrews that you will never leave us nor forsake us. All the instructions about do not be afraid, fear not, which at least to me strongly implies that I have been quite afraid. God, help us to hold the tension of being honest about what's going on in the pain that I am feeling these things. This is what's happening and this is awful and this is not what everything is meant to be yet and yet you are making all things right. And I don't know why you're not answering my prayer the way that I want you to, but God, even now, it's your will that you take this from me, but still, not my will, but yours be done. And so God, I pray for those in the room that are just walking through immense pain and grief right now. Help us just feel even your hand held out to us, walking with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Help us to remember your presence and be reminded of that as we sing together. Help us to encounter you as we just respond to who you are, God, because you are good and beautiful and kind. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, amen. Hey, thanks for watching the service. We pray that it blessed you and helped you grow closer to God. If you are in the Nashville area, we'd love for you to join us sometime. If you're not in the Nashville area, we'd love to help you get connected with the local church if you don't already have one. We pray that God blesses you this week and that he grows you closer in your relationship with him and with your community, and that he uses you in a powerful way to be a vessel of his good news in everywhere that you go. May God bless you.